Let's pray as we get started. God, I just pray you would give us wisdom this morning. God, I pray you would just stir our hearts, uh, draw us closer to you. God, I just pray that we would come in this morning with such anticipation, God, that we would just draw close to you, that we would get everything that you have for us, that we would grow as leaders, and that we would grow in the things that you have purpose for our lives, for this church, for this community. God, I pray that you would empower us to be who you have called us to be to the world that you have placed us in. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So I want to talk to you guys a little bit this morning uh, on an, something that uh, I like to talk about. Uh, and I think it's going to be a little bit fun. I'm going to give you a, kind of a lot of information in a real short amount of time. Uh, so forgive me for that. I'm not really diving into them. They're more illustration points. But uh, how many of you guys have heard the saying, the devil's in the details, right? Uh, the truth of it is, I believe God is in the details. Uh, and the reason I'm saying that is because there are so many things about our lives that I feel like we miss because we are trying to see big picture, uh, because we are wanting to see things that are bigger than what we need to see at the moment. Um, and I, I honestly feel like there's so many things that God has orchestrated. If we could see big picture, we would just mess up. Um, so the details are important. The details are so important to God. Um, just even from a standpoint of, you know, the Bible talks about study to show yourself approved. Okay. I really believe that isn't just like read your Bible so that you know what the word of God says. I think so often we look at overall stories and it's like, oh, that's a cool story. It's not just the story. Let's break down what that story is actually has for you and the depth of that story. Because I believe there's so many things in the Bible that really have so much more depth than we ever realize, especially in our culture, uh, because we don't realize some of the comparisons and things that are being talked about. So one of the things I want to just jump in uh, telling you a story. So it's Exodus 17, verse 8 through 13. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can open that up or just write down, take notes. But it says, then... Amalek came and fought against Israel. So, verse 9, So Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed, but when he let his hands down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. So they took, I love this, so they took a stone and put it under him, and they sat on it. Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sunset. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Now, here's the thing I want to talk about. That's a cool story. And I've heard that story preached a million different ways. Uh, but there's one thing about that story that really stands out to me, and it's not something I've often heard preached. Uh, because you can preach a million things from supporting leadership, talking about spiritual oversight. There's so many things that we can bring. But the very last verse I want to focus on, uh, it says, So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Who got the glory for that victory? Joshua. Guys, I believe as leaders, I'm going to talk to you on a pure leadership level today. I believe as leaders, there are so many times we are looking for the credit on things God has called us to do. And he's never called us to get the credit. He's called us to build a path. You know, and honestly, there is so much, uh, there is so much to this. I, just to see Moses as the leader 
up on top of it. I mean, he's fighting it. I don't know about you guys, and this is just my weird, I probably shouldn't tell this because now you guys are hopefully not going to pay attention to it. But anybody ever, when you're worshiping, like your arms get sore, right? And you want to put them down because your arms are tired. But you're like, but I want to worship. My personality is such that it's like all of a sudden, it's not like, it's like a spiritual battle in my brain. It's like, oh no, I ain't putting them down now. Like I'll hit a point and it's like, I'm, my arm's going to fall asleep. Like, you know what I mean? And then it's almost not even spiritual anymore because it's like, I'm just not going to do it. And so then I have to fight that with my own personal self. But you know what I mean? Like that hurts after a real short amount of time. He stood there all day. Like, I mean, there's some pain that he went through there. There is a lot of pain that nobody saw. Everybody in the fight, everybody on the ground, they saw the bloodshed. They saw the fight that was going on in front of them. Nobody saw the battle that was going on on the top of the hill from Moses. No one saw the battle that was coming from their leadership. You you guys follow me? I want to talk to you a little bit on secondary leadership this morning. um, Because here's the thing. God is in the details. And I really believe, uh, first off, we need to understand secondary leadership isn't about being the second person in anything. It's about understanding that we are the second person in everything. I don't care if you are the leader of your organization. I don't care if you are the boss, the owner, the CEO of whatever. No matter who you are, where you are, you are always the second person because God should always be first chair. Um, even us as a church and organization, I mean, we've got executive team who makes decisions that is led by pastor who is going to make that decision. He answers to what he feels like God's called us to do. But even that has an eldership in place to bring checks and balances to make sure that is all where it should be. So even his ultimate say isn't the ultimate say, you know what I mean? And even then all of that comes back to God. What do you want to do in this situation? I think most of us live our life from the standpoint of we're going to have to answer to God on how we live our lives as opposed to understanding we need to be obedient to God on how we live our lives. It's not that God's disconnected and we go live our life and he's checking in to see if we're doing it right. He wants to be a part of our life through the process. He wants to be in the details, in the conversations. It's not about him checking in or, okay, you doing this right? He wants to be a part of the conversation as your life is going. That makes sense. And I think that's such a key thing here. It goes on and he says, write these down so that no one misses what happens. But Moses had every ability to say, look at the victory you guys had because of what I did. You know what I mean? Uh, But I feel like as leaders, we should be able to step back and say, look at the victory that you had because of what God did through you. And we are the ones plowing the ground and making that happen as leaders in the church. Every community group leader in here, the success of the people in your community group is directly tied to the ground that you have tilled for them to get there. Hands down, it's going to happen. And and I think so often we try to relate that back to us. That's our personal nature, right? I mean, let's be honest. Leadership, cultural leadership is a pyramid, right? You've got the number one. And I mean, let's be honest. We've heard the phrase, crap rolls downhill, right? Okay. Um, Here's the thing. That is cultural leadership. Biblical leadership is more of a funnel. Flip it. Because here's the thing. The phrase is accurate. Crap rolls downhill. Okay. But godly leadership means other people's issues should be rolling to you as the leader to help support them, uplift them, and help them. And ultimately, the reason I say a funnel, not an upside-down pyramid, is because ultimately those should be passed to God because we should cast all our cares on Him. You follow me? There is never a point where we are that final person where we have to carry the weight of the world. 
God never called us or created us to carry that weight. He called and created us to lift people up. It's the same reason Jesus said, I came to be a servant. And if anyone among you wants to be great, he needs to become the least. Why? Because we need to serve those that we are called to reach. Every one of you in this room is a leader. Most of you guys are community group leaders or lead in different areas, but I don't just mean those areas. I'm talking about in our church as a whole Uh, and as individuals. That's why you're in this room. I mean, let me just be honest. If you don't want to be a leader and you don't feel called to something greater than yourself, you don't get up and come to six o'clock prayer in the morning. You don't rearrange your schedule to be at a 30 minute leadership class before you go to work and before your day begins. You got enough stuff going on in the day, but you want something more, right? So I think being able to see that and understand there are the details of what's going on. And I, I'm a detail guy. It's really funny that I say that because I love to find out details. I don't love to manage the details. That's why we have Pat. Okay, um, <laughs> pray for Pat because she has to deal with me and Pastor. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Um, and it, but it's funny. I remember being like a little kid, and I would love to watch like Discovery Channel and different things like that because I would love to watch archaeology and like I wanted to be an archaeologist when I was like nine because I thought it was so cool to go find stuff. And I wanted to be a biblical, uh, I don't know, whatever you call it, Bible archaeologist, whatever those are, biblical archaeologists, whatever, because I wanted to find stuff that the Bible talked about to know it was true. Like, as a little kid, I remember thinking that would be the coolest job ever, and I get to fly over the world and do all the, and I mean, there was a whole lot of stuff, and then I realized it was a whole lot of not that cool stuff, so I didn't go that direction. But, uh, <laughs> so anyway, but the details have always interested me uh, in you know, I think that's one of those things where you see here and you start to look and I don't know about you, but I've read that story. I don't know how many times and I've never focused on the fact that Joshua is the one who got the victory, got the credit for the victory. But the truth of it is his victory only came about because his leadership was faithful in those areas. What is it that you're being faithful in that other people are reaping a harvest from that you don't need to be on the rooftop screaming and saying, Hey, that's because of me, but you're just there in support to help that happen. You know, what is it that God's called you to, to release to your world? That doesn't mean you have to be the loudest voice in the room releasing it to your world. I think often we want so much of the credit, we steal the glory from God because we want the credit for the situation. And see, that's the beauty of how God has created us is we can position ourselves in a way that uplifts other people. And because they're looking at it saying, man, I don't understand how I'm having success in this area. I don't understand how things are growing. I don't understand how I'm having breakthrough here. Well, that's because they're surrounded by a group of people who's praying for them and fighting on their behalf. We're able, God's able to get that glory because there's so many other things going on, right? It's not just our own. Now, I'm talking about the details. I want to just hit this uh, really quickly. And this is some of the things I was mentioning a minute ago because I think they're really significant in we overlook so many things in the Bible. I think me and Zach were having this conversation this morning. There are a lot of little things that we just miss. Um, and we were talking about different stories and stuff. And I'll be honest with you, there's some of the parts of the Bible I've read, and I remember just being like, these are the most boring things ever, right? Like, you start talking about the tabernacle and the, how, not just the tabernacle, but like how the Israelites were supposed to lay out and who was supposed to be where. And it's like, I don't care how many people were in the tribe of Benjamin. And I mean, let's just be honest, like Naphtali, Asher, like, great, you had 48,000, you had 12,000. Okay, cool. Who killed who and who did what and who got, whose arm grew back? Like, that's the stuff I want to read, right? Uh, But I'm just, I mean, that's my personality. But uh, here's the thing that, again, the details are important because even Old Testament, 
and you guys, I know you've heard the pastor talk about this before, but I want you to catch this. When it talks about those boring things, when it goes on and says, Benjamin has 35,000, Manasseh has 32,000, Ephraim has 40,000, Naphtali has 53,000, Esher has 41,000, Dan has 62,000, Reuben has 45,000, Simeon has 59,000, Gad has 45,000, Judah has 74,000, Issachar has uh, 54,000, Zebulun has 57,000. Like, how many of you guys are, you are inspired now? Right? But here, here is something very unique about that. So, what seems so uninspiring. Benjamin, Manasseh, and Ephraim were supposed to build to the west. Their total, just over 100,000. Okay? To the north is Naphtali, Asher, and Dan. Their totals, 155,000, roughly, a little more than that. Reuben, Simeon, and Gad to the south. 152,000, almost the same, by the way, as the north. And then you've got Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. That's 186,000 to the east. Now, here's why that matters. Again, like, okay, east, north, what does that actually mean? When you lay those out, sky view is a cross. Do you see what I'm saying? Even there, you look Old Testament, and it's like, okay, it's boring verse things. No, even that is trying to paint a picture that if we don't stop and look at the details, we miss the picture, Right? And for me, I miss the picture a lot of times because I'm looking for the excitement. I mean, let's be honest. Um, Jericho is another one of those. I love the story of Jericho. How many of you guys have heard that 10 million times, right? It's awesome. They run, they yell, walls fall down, and they have to be quiet and obedient. And then all of a sudden they get to yell and everybody, everything falls down and they run in and kill everybody. And it's awesome. Like that's kind of how, I mean, that's my interpretation. of That's how my brain remembers that story. But there's something really unique. Uh, and I want you to catch this. Joshua 6.20. It says, the people shouted, the priests blew their trumpets. And when the people heard the shouts of the trumpets, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, uh, and they took the city. Sounds normal, right? Two really interesting things that I've never paid attention to there. Um, The walls fell down flat and they went up into the city. Never paid attention to that. Until I was reading, really interesting, a German excavation in the early 1900s of that area. And its original build was actually, Jericho was built not just as a huge city and a great place, but strategically it was built really smart because it was built on a plateau. And then they did mud brick. Well, I can give you all the things on it. I won't won't bore you with details. Um, (laughs) um, So I will, actually, um, because now I feel bad saying that. Um, But so it had a retaining wall that was roughly 12 to 15 feet on top of a mud brick wall that was about six feet. Uh, And then there was another wall that was the primary wall that was 20 to 25 feet tall. All right. So we're talking more than 40 feet high of wall. In my brain, I've always pictured this as they yelled and everything crumbled and fell and they ran in and took the city. Anybody else? Do you realize if 40 feet of wall crumble and fall, you don't run up in to take anything? <laughs> okay, you scale over boulders and hope you don't get smashed with, with falling rock. <laughs> All right? Um, but what was really interesting, this excavation talked about two things that they found that were really unique is that the walls fell and the largest walls on top fell in a manner that actually made a ramp for the plateau. 
say the walls themselves would have been removed, they still would have had to get over an eight-foot wall to go into the city. And this excavation was talking about how the walls fell and actually the way the rubble lies now, you can see it actually created a ramp allowing them to use the walls to actually go up above what would have naturally been there on its own. The details are important, guys. Not only that, they discovered there was a small section of the wall that I thought was also really interesting that did not fall. In fact, it also had a building that would be considered a home at the time on the other end of it. So if you remember the spies that went into the home, there was one person whose home was supposed to remain. According to the excavation in the 1900s, there is one home still there on one small portion of the wall that didn't fall. Everything else fell in a way that created a ramp to get you into the city. I don't know about you, but the walls fell down flat, so the people went up into the city straight ahead and took the city. Woo! Like, never once would I have thought of any of those small details. But how many of you guys realize when we look at those small details coupled with what we know in history, it brings so much more credence and value to what we believe as Christians and what we teach. See, I'm, I'm a firm believer that history and science go hand in hand in confirming everything about the Bible and what God has called us to do. And when we understand as Christians, we can discover those things, study those things, and find the details. Not so that we can overpower people with our wit, but to strengthen us in our faith. Okay, there's two very different sides there. I think a lot of times we want to know the details so that when someone says, well, that didn't really happen. Oh, yeah, because blah, and understand something. When you find the details and it confirms your faith, you're excited about those, Right? When you just regurgitate them to somebody else who doesn't believe the same thing you believe, here's what you just said to them, and I want you to get this. Well, I don't know that I really believe God's real. Oh, really? Well, Benjamin had 34,000. Messiah had 32,000. Ephraim had 40,000. Yeah, guess what? Judah, 70,000. Yeah, they're like, cool. You're an idiot. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, that's awesome. It confirms our faith. Those things are hidden there for depth for us. So that as we, as God creates a way and gives us a door to have a conversation, we can bring up depth. We can bring in truth. We can bring in history and science and have an intellectual conversation. Not just, not mean to step on anybody's toes if you say this, but it's one of my pet peeves. Well, just have faith. There's a lot of things we need to just have faith for, but God has called us to have so much more than just faith. Okay, we need substance to back it. Uh, And he created a word that is so rich and so deep in order to allow us to do that. As leaders, we need to read our word. We need to be in it. We need to study it. Guys, I get it may not be interesting sometimes. When I read those numbers, it is not interesting. But when I discover what those numbers mean, it changes the purpose so much. There's another one. Last thing I told you, I was going to give you a few deep things. I'm just going to throw them at you (laughs) as nuggets. I'm not really going to dive into those because it's not my focus. Uh, But there's another thing our college students know because I've talked about it in there. But the golden mean, okay, it's a formula. It's basically the perfect mathematical formula. Uh, And what it is, you see it in a lot of different things. So if you look at the spiral of a flower, okay, um, look at the spiral of a flower, look at the spiral of a hurricane. It's this spiral that we see throughout nature. Okay, and it's referred to, that specific spiral is referred to as the golden mean. The reason it's called the golden mean is basically the perfect mathematical formula to fit the most substance into the smallest area. Our ear has the same shape. If you go through, you Google it, you'll begin to see it throughout hundreds and thousands of different designs throughout creation. 
it's a small detail. Anybody ever notice that your thumbprint is completely different, but they all have the same spin, right? They all have that little weird spin to it, and that's how we know it's a thumbprint, right? If you saw straight lines on a paper, you wouldn't think anything about it, but somebody starts making circles, and it's like, hey, it kind of looks like a thumbprint. It's the same spiral. It's the same thing. It's unique to all of us, but it's the same spiral that's a part of that. It's the same spiral when you look at your thumb, and it is when you look at a hurricane. It's that same mathematical formula that they've now been able to say it is the, basically the perfect mathematical formula to put the most of any substance into the smallest area. That's why it's found so much in plants, because it, it allows the plant to carry the most seeds possible to be able to still reproduce and not die out. Does that make sense? It's little details like that that when we discover and find... Again, they enrich our faith so much. And I know I'm talking to you on a lot of not an eight o'clock in the morning conversation right now. Okay, I get that. Uh, but hang with me because this is the thing that I want you to understand. As leaders, we need to have an understanding that there is depth to our faith. And we need to understand how to translate that depth to the people that God has called us to serve. Come on, that's good. And here's the beauty of that. My sons, and I really want to help you guys with this, and I don't mean it like to you guys because it's something I personally work on all the time, but I will never forget the time I found this awesome, what I thought was discovery in the Bible. And I'm, I mean, I could not stop telling people about it. And I remember going to this guy who I really respected. He was one of my pastors at the time and went up and was like, hey, guess what I found? Blah, blah, blah. And like, I just word vomit all over him, all of this information. And his response was like, Oh, yeah, that's cool. Do you know this is a part of that, too? <laughs> and, like, even makes it even bigger, which was cool to make it bigger, but it was totally like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, fine, I guess everybody knows it. <laughs> Literally. Like, I went from telling everybody to, well, fine, I guess I'm the idiot that just found out. Like, that was my perspective. Guys, he meant nothing by that whatsoever. It's the, but I've learned this with my kids. My kids will come up and like, hey, look at this cool car I made. And it's got like eight wheels and two of them are the wrong way. And I'm like, that will never drive, kid. Like, but I'm not like, you did that wrong. Let's move the wheels. and do Like, if I take over, he loses the value. You, you follow me. As leaders, don't take over the revelation that somebody's trying to give you. Let them share it. Be excited with them. Cultivate that. And then, oh, that's so awesome. Hey, I heard something the other day. And then tie it in. Don't run them over. Does that make sense? As leaders, we've got to learn to be able to tie stuff in. I did this to you. I'm going to call myself out in front of everybody. Um, it was a month ago. And I didn't even mean to, but it was like, she came and was like, hey, this awesome idea, revelation, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. That's, you know, this, and just related it. And then later I was thinking about this and I was like, oh, yeah, I totally did that to you. <laughs> um, and she called me on it later to my wife. That's okay. Um, not intentionally, but we were talking. And she was like, yeah, I told Pastor And I was like, oh, that's kind of when it hit me. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I whiffed that one. Oh, well, uh, we do that, right? Like, that's leadership. Own it. Move on. Okay? But what's God called you to do? Who's he calling you to invest in that we take the substance that he has given us and we're able to then translate that? Okay? And I know a lot of us in the room are like, well, that's why I'm here is I want that substance. Yeah. Absolutely. Every single one of us do. I do too. <laughs> That's why I love studying this stuff. That's why I love finding that out. Who are the people? Here's my challenge for you today. Or who are the people that you purpose to spend time with who challenge you spiritually? 
not just the people you enjoy hanging out with. There are some people that I hang out with, they make my head hurt. Okay, I don't hang out with them a lot because it's painful. (laughs) But it's really good for me. Who are those people in your life that they really challenge what you know about the Bible, the way you think about things and your perspective, and they help you grow because you need to be spending time with those people. And I think one of the most overlooked places in the church are people who find so much depth in Scripture because they feel like they have nowhere to share that. Here's the other beauty of the, this entire conversation as a leader. When you have a, whether you're a community group leader, I don't care if you're a hospitality leader, whatever you are helping serve in, you're a leader. Let me just start there. Uh, it doesn't matter if you have a title of a leader. Uh, our culture has it completely backwards where we give you a title and that makes you a leader. The truth of it is you are a leader, so then a title simply validates what you're already yeah. doing. Okay, that's the real mark of a leader. Uh, and that's what we do in the church. It's like, hey, okay, I, you're already doing this. Hey, here's your gift in action. Let's plug that in and use that so we can help build that and utilize that gift the way God intended it. Does that make sense? So how are you seeing that in people? Where are you lining them up with those details? But here's the beauty of it. When somebody comes to you with a cool revelation, you don't even have to have all the answers. Like You don't even have to have known that. I promise you, it is far more exciting for my kids when they bring something to me and I'm like, that's incredible. How'd you do that? Like, it lights up their brain to then go even do more. Okay. And I'm not trying to relate everybody to kids here. Don't overthink what I'm saying. Uh, Because I'm the same way. Like if I get a revelation, you guys know that are around me a lot. I'm horrible at, I need to apologize to our entire staff. Um, Because I'll be in my office and I'll find something really awesome and like I'll read it and study it for a minute. And then it like I get so excited about like I have to stop studying. I just have to go find somebody and I will randomly like, hey, check out this cool thing. Like they're working on crap. And I'm just like, hey, word vomit all over them. Like, okay, cool. You guys have fun. Like I got it out. I feel better. Um, Barb catches most of that. Um, But this is like we've got to have those people. We've got to have those outlets to grow together and do that. And as leaders, we have to be able to promote people to a place where they feel comfortable having those conversations, even the hard ones. What, what about when somebody says, hey, I was reading this in the Bible and I think it says this and you don't agree with what they think it said. Being able to walk that out, have a conversation where then, well, you know what, let's study that out together. Okay, let's get together next Wednesday and let's have coffee and let's really dive into that because, you know, I really haven't studied that all that much. Or maybe you have studied a lot and they are off the wall. Hey, let me relook at that because I didn't get that when you <laughs> when I read it last. That's OK. That, that's you're not telling them they're wrong yet. <laughs> all right. Go back and study. Make sure. OK. Uh, and make sure it's not something that's personal preference. OK. Like there's so much that we carry as leaders that some of those things I'm take a two minute rabbit trail. There's some things that we carry as leaders that they are not biblical convictions, they're personal convictions, and we preach them like they're biblical. Okay? Know the difference. Know the difference. Because someone doesn't carry the same conviction as you, is that a biblical conviction? If it is, awesome. Challenge them to step up in that area. If it's personal conviction, well, evaluate where you are even on that. It's good to evaluate ourselves. (laughs) Just because that what I'm, I mean, I'm not even, I like to say I'm not that old. I'm getting there. Um, but 
I, I mean, I look back, honestly, I, I ran across the other day cleaning out a closet a binder of messages that I preached back when I was in Master's Commission. And I read some of those. And I'm like, man, I don't know how they didn't like throw me out. Like this is like straight wrong. It's not even like off a little bit. Like, I mean, it's, it's pretty much heresy. <laughs> like just straight up wrong on some levels. And, and the truth was like, I mean, this is maybe like the second or third message I ever preached. So, I mean, God's got grace. <laughs> and God's like, yeah, you're dumb. That's okay. We'll use it. Uh, you're, you're, you know, I mean, he used a donkey. So, hey. Um, like, don't feel like you have to have all the answers. Don't feel like you have to know everything. But as we learn and as we grow, we should constantly, as leaders, be reevaluating what are those stances that we have. What are the things that God's revealing to us that we can share and build and uplift other people with? Because, I mean... I don't know about you guys, but I remember the first time, and let me give credit where credit's due, the whole Jericho thing, like I was reading it because I went and researched it because one of our high schoolers here was like, hey, I've got, a, I want, it's got something I want to speak for chapel, and they gave me their notes. That wasn't in there, <laughs> by the way. It talked about the story, uh, but he got up, and then he started talking about the wall fell, and it was JT, um, but he gets up and talks about the wall fall. I was like, yeah, I've never heard that before. I'm going to need to study that out. <laughs> And I went and studied, and I found the article that he was talking about in the excavation, and I was like, this is amazing. I probably preached it 20 times since then. We should all be learning and growing. It's that idea that we always live second chair. You never have it all figured out. We never have came to the point where we completely understand the Bible in its fullest, and these are our opinions and our decisions, and this is where my faith lands. The truth of it is the only thing that's never changing is the word of God. Our reading and our interpretation of even what we read does. Okay. And we need to always be checking that as we learn more of the word of God, was my perspective limited? Okay. Because as new information enters, how many of you guys realize when you find out new information, often your perspective grows. I find this with my kids all the time. He beat me. He literally, this happened yesterday. Like I walk in, he's just sometimes punching me in the head. I was like, okay, don't punch your brother in the head. And like, I get onto him. I put him in timeout and I was like, why was he doing that? What's the deal? Like, and then it's like, well, cause he kicked me and did it and threw a chair and like, not, I'm exaggerating now. Um, but you know what I mean? It's like all this other stuff. It's like, okay, wait, <laughs> come back over here. <laughs> right. More information changes your perspective. And that's why the details are so important. Because as we learn the details, it changes our overall perspective. And the more we learn, the more we grow, the more we're able to actually live like Christ. And as Christians, our goal is not to be the best Christian that we can be. It is to look the most like Jesus as possible. Honestly, let's not find our own conclusions and find our own interpretations and land and camp on this is what I biblically believe and this is where I'm going to go. Let's land on the Bible and say, this defines who I am and where I am and what I do in my life. And formulate those around biblical truths because they are the thing that are unwavering, unchanging in our life. And that's what our life needs to be based on. So my challenge for you, and I'm going to end here. I know we got to go. It's 833, so I'm done. Um, my challenge for you, who are the people in your life that challenge you in your faith that you can spend time with outside of an 8 a.m. class? Because these are great, but let's be honest, we cannot do these all week, all year long. <laughs> and let's be honest, we need to be growing more than in a class setting where you're able to have dialogue and discussion and really grow there. So who are those people? Uh, and if you don't have any, who is it that you look up to in the church that you could start to 
introduce that conversation with and just talk to uh, because we need to have those people in our life. So my challenge to you is this week is try to find two people who challenge you to grow in your faith, who challenge you in the word and purpose time to spend with them just talking about the word. That's it. Don't, now, don't get me wrong. Don't say, hey, I want to have coffee with you. Sit down and try to give them the last Bible study that you did, okay? Uh, get down and just sit down and talk with them that you want to grow in the Word. And you see that in them, call that out of them. And then just talk. <laughs> it's really amazing the revelations that come out in conversation. And I think so often we think so little of conversational revelation that we think everything has to be scheduled out. Uh, in order to be powerful, and it doesn't. Um, God is always wanting to speak as long as we're willing and available to listen. So let me pray for you guys. God, I thank you so much for this incredible group of leaders. I thank you for the purpose and the plans that you have for their lives, for the things that you have called them to do and the people you have called them to influence. And God, I pray that you would just help us to walk out of here today and to find those relationships that help grow us beyond classes and strengthen us and deepen us in our relationship with you and in your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.